This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalet. In April 2020, I started this podcast to think through the different workforce, HR, and organizational impacts of the global shift to remote work. I called it abrupt future. The words came to me as I was thinking about that abrupt change, as if the future was happening right now. The idea of remote working was new to me. For many years, I lived by the motto, work is where the laptop is. Working in different offices, at home, while traveling, at a client location. This was different though. It was a new global experiment. Now everyone was working remotely, regardless of role or work preference. And that brings a lot of questions, especially if we are to have more of these alternative work arrangements in the future. I decided to have conversation with a variety of experts, HR, management consultants, academics, leaders, CEOs, startup founders, remote work experts, and an ex-military. Of all these conversations, a few key points stand out. One, your organization was already virtual. Yes, many people were commuting to an office every day. And you can think that work was a place and a physical location. Work pre-pandemic was already a network of digital, locationless interactions. You may be in an office, but you were likely already spending a lot of time on conference calls, shared documents, emails, instant messaging, internet, your, your mobile, etc. And with people in other locations or even in the same location, you could, in theory, work in a local office and interact only with local colleagues who are in the same physical location without ever leaving your workspace and only relying on digital channels. If we stop romanticizing the so-called water cooler conversations, we can see that working from home only added physical distance within a network of individuals who interact largely through communication and collaboration technologies. WhatsApp is the new water cooler. Two, managerial trust has been the blocking factor. We have had the technology to enable remote work for more than 20 years now. How come it took a pandemic for everyone to realize that this is doable? Everyone I asked gave me the same answer. Leaders and managers did not trust their employees. In most cases, Most people prove that they can be trusted to work remotely. The best argument I heard is this. One of my guests, Dr. Laura Hambley Lovett, who previously wrote, how can I manage someone that I can't see? My answer to that is, how do you know someone is working when you can see them? Are you looking over their shoulder? No, you're emailing them from down the hall. If you don't have a result-oriented culture, remote work is not the problem. The next generation of managers will have to be comfortable not only with remote work, but with remote leadership as well. Three, from traditional to distributed, it's a continuum. Besides office work, remote work, and work from home, we should be thinking a bit more broadly to really understand the space of possibilities and choose what makes more sense for each situation. 
at one end of the spectrum, you have the traditional office. Everybody works in the same physical location during the same hours. At the other end of the spectrum lies a distributed organization. The idea that a workplace can be anywhere, including offices if they are available to employees, and that work hours can be at any time. And you can even further stretch the continuum by adding the gig slash contractor slash freelancer. You could be working from anywhere at any time for any company. These two extreme archetypes, traditional and distributed, define the spectrum that needs to be considered. Leaders will have to think about remote work that is not necessarily from home. Do you support that? How? Co-working spaces, open offices, or just allocation for working expenses? Can your employees be hired in one remote location and move later? Should compensation be based on local market rate? And they will need to think about remote work that is not necessarily in the same time zone. Will you allow it or enable it? 4. Nobody misses the commute. Maybe some people do, but in large part, commutes was already a burden to many employees. The stress of driving or public transportation, the cost of commute, and or the additional cost of real estate required to live in an area closer to work. Commuting also has an environmental impact and can be psychologically and physically painful. When surveys ask remote workers what they enjoy the most, the lack of commute is on top of their minds, and vice versa. Commute is a big issue for office-based employees. Beyond the commute, the inflexibility of business hours create additional stress when employees have other non-work responsibilities, such as caring for kids or parents. Workers around the world prove that they could maintain productivity remotely, so maybe they can drop the commute. 5. We need more asynchronous work. Speaking of time zones, organizations need to think about synchronous versus asynchronous work, that is, work that is accomplished or coordinated with someone in real time versus not. Every conference call and video meeting is synchronous. Both parties need to be engaged in the interaction at the same time. Working by yourself on a presentation, then sending the first draft to your colleagues who send their feedback the next day is asynchronous, or async in short. You don't expect a response right away. Everyone has examples of meetings that could have been an email or a threaded conversation on a collaboration platform. I will take anecdotes and numerous memes as evidence here. Everyone knows what it feels like when you are in meetings back-to-back -back with no time for deep work, or when you have too many pings, slacks, texts, or calls to focus on. Some tasks, or even some roles, require deep work, or at least solitary work. Some people perform better in a quiet environment, and the modern office, with its open plan, can be a giant distraction. Real-time conversations have a purpose. It can lead to faster decision-making, better team coordination, more personal connections and engagement. But making it the most common activity of a knowledge worker is a recipe for burnout. Fully remote company like Doist aim for a 70% async communication, 25% sync and 5% in-person, another form of sync communication. 6. 
hybrid is not the solution. Hybrid has been presented as the new model for the post-pandemic workplace, where employees work sometimes from home, sometimes from an office, either at will or on dedicated days. This is analog thinking in a digital era, and organizations that cling to this model will lose talent. First, if the best a company has to offer is that you have the right, quote-unquote, to work from home from time to time, or worse, on specific days that you either book or are told to choose, to many this will sound just as backwards as being told that the only time you can watch a movie is when it's on TV at 9 p.m. this Friday. And it's not just the Gen Z. We all have platforms like Netflix or Disney Plus where we watch TV when and where we want to. This is the point of digitizing processes and experiences. You can carry them in your pocket and engage when you feel like it. Hybrid work and its binary thinking will also reinforce the dichotomy between us in the office and them working from home, even if belonging to either category can change. What about employees who live far from an office and those who live in different time zones? If organizations are willing to reduce sync work and let employees choose where they want to work, with physical offices if they chose to, this will widen the talent pool and create engagement and loyalty despite the distance. Moreover, this widening of the talent pool is not only geographical. Distributed work will help open the aperture on talent from different horizons socioeconomic, gender, ethnic, etc. Recruiting outside of big, expensive cities will allow some groups to participate in the economic life and organizations to select talent without the filter of one's current ability to afford an expensive rate rent or mortgage. 7. Think about the next generation of employees. Some leaders have a hard time imagining that their entire workforce can work from home and that you can have meaningful relationship with people you barely meet, quote unquote, in real life. Instead of looking at the attitudes of past generations, we should be thinking about the expectations of the next generation. The digital natives are happy to figure things out by themselves, looking up online the information they need, using a sync communication to discuss, relying on remote connectivity for live communication and meeting in person when needed. They shop online, meet and interact with people online and consume content online. They don't necessarily want long meetings or conference calls. Plus, they want a life too. They don't see the point in working 9 to 5 in an office when they could space their work hours throughout the day and blend their lives and their work as they see fit. Why 9 to 5? Some people enjoy early morning work, others enjoy late night work. If you can squeeze a work up, a nap and family time during your business hours and if the job gets done, who cares? They are used to consumer platforms with personalization, access, and convenience. They expect enterprise systems and corporate cultures to deliver that kind of experience at a minimum. Not understanding that is a sure way to turn off a large swath of that demographic. 8. People need resources and flexibility. 
Employees need resources, trust, and flexibility. If we are clear about outcomes and expectation and provide them with the tools to achieve them, they will deliver. These resources can be offices, a service provided to workers who want some socialization, who do not have the ability to work from home, who want some variety in their work location from time to time, or who want to conduct some meetings face to face. If it's a service, just like software for employees, a form of corporate co-working space, then people will use it if it brings some value to them. Make it an obligation and you will fill the office with disengaged workers. GM dress code has been boiled down to dress appropriately. The new working code should be work appropriately. 9. With great autonomy comes great responsibility. For many years, some people were already living the anytime, anywhere, any organization work life. The so-called digital nomads. Typically, younger workers traveling while working remotely, often in Southeast Asia. They are the extreme end of the spectrum, although most of them leave the lifestyles after a few years. Still, in those years, they tend to develop certain skills that the worker of the future will need. 1. Boundary making. Managing the boundaries, time and space, where work versus non-work happens. Whether it is selecting a device, work on a laptop, life on mobile, for instance. The location. Many of them use co-working space, not to work with others, but to avoid working and living in the same space. Or the time of day. They have to learn how to create the moments that feel like work versus those who don't. Or two, time and distraction management, a related skill that has to do with boundaries within the activity of work, using tools and techniques to ensure focus, deep work, and prioritization of tasks. And three, branding and career management. As a loan agent, you must be the CEO of you incorporated and ensure that you are a trusted brand with a solid value proposition and that you strategically develop your skills by selecting the right kind of projects, advertising your capabilities, and so on. These skills will help remote workers maintain both their autonomy and productivity. We can learn from the fully nomadic tribes as we prepare for a world of digital settlers. 10. HR next job is change management for employers, not employees. For years, HR acted as a change management enabler. Company buys a new enterprise software or changes something important about their way of operating. The project team conducts the impact analysis and HR implement the mitigation strategy, be they training, communication, or organization structure redesign. Except when the change is itself an HR software process. While leaders and managers are key stakeholders involved in that process, the change management effort mostly concerned employees. It was about helping them adopt the tools, adapt to new ways of working, and adjust to the new processes. To make their organization successful, HR's new mandate 
is to ensure that change management target leaders, managers, and all the top decision makers in an organization. This time, it's them who need to adopt, adapt, and adjust to this new world. They need to be engaged, influenced, and reassured. They need to be ready, willing, and able. There is still a lot of resistance from analog leaders to embrace digital work, but the cost of that resistance can be high. The global remote work experiment proved that it's largely doable and employees expect at least some flexibility. To conclude, we don't know exactly how all this will unfold, but one thing is certain. The next phase of economic transformation will require iterative, agile, and data-driven thinking. Organizations will have to experiment with frameworks and guidelines rather than a rigid policy, find what works best for different roles and industries, and evolve the framework based on objective results as well as employee feedback. This was Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardivelli and I thank you for your time.